ready for another episode of Wanderings and Wool Gathering? Good. Here's Foggy. Welcome to Wanderings and Wool Gathering, episode 66, proudly hosted by North Central Indiana's Rock 98.5. When I thought about how to intro the show and do justice to our amazing guest tonight, I was at a bit of a loss. And then it came to me, I was building a box using a compound miter saw, measuring, gluing, and clamping. It took me back to my dad's wood shop when I was a kid. I would hold boards while he did the meticulous work. He was quite the craftsman. He built our dining room table around which we all gathered. I learned the alphabet there, leaving indelible marks in the soft wood. As I worked that day, it came to me, my father's hands, a beautifully written ode from Ashton to his father. I was struck by the beauty of a father's impact on his child and the imprint left when he passes. Ashton recently lost his father and our own Metalhead Mundy lost his father this past month. Les Mundy's birthday would have been tomorrow. So tonight, in honor of Ashton and Jeremy, I'd like to begin the show with the healing words and celebration of our fathers with the final stanza of my father's hands. The way your hands look while writing these words, wiping away my tears, both of blinding sorrow and much-needed laughter. I'd never really noticed a similarity between my hands and yours, but for some reason, I can't see anything but the way your hands looked as I look at mine now. It's such a beautiful sentiment and truly indicative of the intimate nature of waiting for a voice. Joining me tonight to talk to the man himself are JPP, Metalhead Mundy, and Joe Rife. Good evening, boys. Good evening. Hello, hello. Yeah, well, I was not expecting that, so thank you. <laughs> well, uh, when I read that, I was, and it's a very long poem, and I, I wish I could have shared it all tonight, but I hope people will pick this book up. And just for that alone, the, the poem itself is beautiful. All the ways that a father affects a child, a family, all that he does. Um, and to, to view that through his hands, I thought was just so special. And, you know, with your dad's birthday tomorrow, I thought it was just perfect for tonight. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. And we wouldn't have that without the man himself, Mr. Ashton Knight. Welcome. Thank you very much. And uh, well, way to start on a <laughs> an intense note there, Steve. And sort of, uh, <clears throat> yes, but thank you. Thank you for your kind words about the poem. Yeah, I, it is sorrowful, but to me, there's just such a celebration there. You know, I still have my dad, and every time I work, you know, work with wood, I think about him. So um, I really think it's just a beautiful celebration. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's actually the last. It's the last thing I wrote uh, for the book, and um, going through the kind of starting starting at the end, I guess you know the, and then working backwards. The album itself was written after I finished uh, a thirty six day tour with Wayne Hussey uh, of the Mission all over Europe. We played thirty six different cities and however many different countries, and uh, the album was largely written and recorded as soon as I got back. Yeah, sort of the. I guess it would be November through February, November of last year through February this year. So I just finished the music side of things and it started the book side of things when my father passed and I went back 
to South Africa and help my mom with everything that needed to be helped with. And um, naturally, I mean, we can speak more about that, but, you know, getting back to, to writing, you know, the, there's, there's a lot to be said about the work itself, but that was the last piece that I wrote. And I, I literally thought I'd end the book on that. It's, it's, uh, it is a long poem and it's, and it's a very a sort of kind of stream of stream of thought kind of poem. And, um, literally just moving through the various phases of life that I witnessed through observing my father's hands. And uh, yeah, an emotional start to the show. I must say, goodness, I was expecting something a little lighter to get the ball rolling, but you know, so it goes. And um, I think like with, 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 with loss and speaking about loss, hopefully it can be um, solace for others. You know, I mean, we've all experienced loss on some level and hopefully, you know, there's, there's uh, hope and solace to be to be experienced through sharing these things, um, whether it's in song or poem or just conversation with four people I just met. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I like Steve said, I lost my father at the end of May, and um, it was kind of kind of sudden, kind of not. It was actually COVID related, and um, but it's immediately like for his uh viewing i started building a playlist because he was a huge music lover is kind of where i got it mm. and um i just kept going from there and now i have a spotify spotify playlist with almost 500 songs on it that i'm still <laughs> adding to and it's yeah. just you know anytime i started thinking about him i just been putting that on and you know going right back to riding around in the car with him and growing yeah. up on that music and it's cool. It's a really nice way to just kind of connect, you know, think well, back. And... Yeah. I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And music, I think, I mean, you know, we're all here because of music ultimately, um, well, yep. the five of us anyway, I'm not saying all of mankind, but I'd like to think all of <laughs> mankind is here. Because of music. And, uh, certainly in my life, it was a, a, a passion and a, a uh, an obsession you could almost say that i inherited from my dad he was just music obsessed you know he wasn't people always ask where the people perceive me to have some kind of musical talent so they you know they assume it comes from somewhere and those are two misguided assumptions because because you know to my knowledge none of my family not i don't consider myself musical per se and, I, and none of my family members are but we were passionate about music and i think that's that connection uh you know, we played Bowie's Heroes and Van Morrison's Ballerina at at Eddie's uh, memorial, and um, it was kind of a running joke, really, in our families. That you know, the whole family, not, no, no one else in the family, like enjoyed or appreciated or understood Van Morrison, <laughs> other than my father. And so <laughs> it was one of those things that uh, you know, we we definitely all celebrated Bowie together but when it came to Van Morrison it was one of those situations where when he when he wanted the room to himself you know <laughs> he'd crank up Van Morrison and we'd all scatter at the different parts of the house you know so I thought it was beautiful poetic irony that we all sat in the church and listened to all seven minutes of ballerina or however long it is by Van Morrison which was not easy but uh, I think I think he probably enjoyed the the kind of the irony in all of that. So, so do you listen to Van Morrison now? Uh, do you have a different take on him? Well, it's 
I, I had kind of grown to appreciate Van the Man, as my father would call him. Um, <laughs> <laughs> over the years, I think I'm referring to a much earlier time when we would all run away screaming. But uh, um, yeah, I think it's maybe a little a little soon for me to be playing Van Morrison songs. It, you know, there's some things that are just so yeah. intrinsically woven, interwoven with somebody's you know DNA that it's yeah. I think some things. Some things uh, need a little bit of time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> well, let's um, let's talk a little bit about waiting for a voice. Then, um, mm -hmm. you know, what's interesting is I've been listening to some kind of satellite like off and on for a long time now. Ever since uh, found out about you from Michael Cerevolo when he did Beauty and Chaos, and it's such a different record from this one. Um, I was a little surprised, mm -hmm. uh, pleasantly so. And this record is so different yet unbelievable so you know where was the inspiration or where did this come from because it is so vastly different from the last one well firstly thank you for listening to some kind of satellite i do like that record i was blonde then and i had a lot more fun i think in general but um <laughs> also, yeah anyway um let's try and give you the short version of the answer i've, I've released a lot of music in my my years i put out some um, nine albums with the awakening or as the awakening you could say and uh this will be my seventh solo album and honestly each solo album has been pretty different to the previous solo album that's kind of been the running theme so yeah i don't really i don't really to be honest really think too much about continuity when, when i put out solo albums in terms of one to the next i think the continuity is my voice and what i'm trying to say and where i'm coming from and Throughout the years, I've tried on different hats musically with the solo work. Um, the Awakening tended to be more defined as a kind of gothic rock or dark rock or whatever, that, that kind of thing. And then the solo albums allowed me to do just whatever I felt like doing on top of that. And uh, what I felt like doing with this one was finally focusing an album very much on the words and the voice and the story that it's telling and, and to resist the temptation of cluttering the mix with a whole bunch of stuff that we generally don't need and uh getting going down production rabbit holes and all of that stuff which i'm very guilty of as you know so many of us are when, when we make music and um i think doing the tour with wayne gave me that last boost of confidence in terms of just sitting with my guitar on stage and nothing else i mean wayne still had you know, very, he'd do track, he'd use tracks and keyboards and all sorts of things. I literally went up and it was just me and my acoustic guitar for 45 minutes. And I was amazed that after six minutes, people were still there, you know, they hadn't all gone to the bar, you know, sort of. So, you know, it was because there's, there's, there's been two definitive chapters. I mean, many chapters in my life, but there's my time before I moved to America, you know, which was, I got was very well known in, in my home country. And it, you know, I played all sorts of big festivals and done all that cool stuff and been on every TV show you can think of and all of that. And there was quite a rebuild necessary when, when I, you know, came here and uh, started again, pretty much, you know, with a little bit of a foot up, but nobody knew me here. And uh, I think back in the South Africa days, it wouldn't, you know, it would, I would have been comfortable doing and a very stripped down acoustic album but i think given the need to kind of feel that you need to impress and to develop and you know showcase all your skills and all that 
maybe other things got in the way and prevented me from doing it once I'd moved here. If that makes any sense, I might have lost my own train of thought there. <laughs> my point is, I probably would have done it sooner had I not relocated, I think is, is kind of what I'm saying. And uh, I'm glad to finally be in, in a space where I can just let, let the words and the, the melody speak without all the other stuff. It's not to say I won't use all the other stuff again, but right now, um, it's where I'm at, and uh, I've spent my life listening to singer-songwriters and folk singers, and I grew up in all of that uh, with many, many other artists and by many influences. And I just feel very, very, very fortunate to be able to have celebrated this aspect of my influence, uh, the things that have influenced me, I should say, to be clear. <laughs> I don't think I have an influence, but the things that have influenced <laughs> me. And so, yeah, that's a very long version of what's supposed to be a short answer, but... That's not cool. at all that's great and <clears throat> excuse me for jumping in here but there's a lot i can unpack from that um as a musician myself it, it, lots resonated with me with that and one of the big things is the fact that you know you, you like you said you don't really have the intent of much con in the way of continuity and you know as an artist i always want to evolve I, mm -hmm. I don't want to do the same thing I did last time. I want to learn. Mm -hmm. I want to push myself to do new things. Right. And um, one thing I, I kind of heard when I listened to this latest release, more so than you know some of the previous stuff I'd heard, was the level of intimacy mm -hmm. was mm -hmm. you know a lot more apparent on this. And that's not a detractor from the other things, but just the fact that you know that's one thing I struggle with is, and I'll have questions for you later on regarding vocals. But one thing I struggle with is myself and either just the instrument instrument or myself and the voice because i i feel like you know it really strips things away and it's just my soul being exposed mm. even more so than having the luxury of buttons to push or an instrument to right. drum stuff right. like that so um the fact that you know this release comes out in a way that uh just translates beautifully you know there's a lot of bravery behind that even though mm -hmm. it may not feel like it but i mm -hmm. i as a musician you know, I, I high five you for that because I think that um, it was very well executed. And I, I think that, you know, where you are in your journey is someplace I long to be. Thank you. I, and um, I absolutely agree with the bravery because, yeah, it was, I think that's what I was trying to answer in the previous chat was just um, how long it's ultimately taken. I mean, hell, I put out, what did I say? It stuck 26 albums in total or something that can't be. 16, 16, I'm getting my numbers mixed up. Yeah. Uh, it's too late, it's too early. It's not, not enough caffeine, I don't know, something's wrong. 142 <laughs> albums that I've put out. No, I don't know. <laughs> 250 songs, I think I've released 150 songs. But And it's a lot of songs, you know, and there's, there's it's sort of what took you so long. And, and, and I think that was the significance of that tour. You know, it was just nights after night, and the tour is grueling. I mean, 36 shows in less than 50 days you know it was 40 something days and 36 shows i mean and the days off were spent you know it's your day off you get to drive for 12 hours you know <laughs> right. sort of, gosh thanks you know it's um but doing that you know doing those songs each night i think it's and just seeing you know majority of these people had no idea who i was or, or hadn't heard, heard my voice before or any of that and and just seeing that how how that simple celebration can resonate with people. So I think I wanted to take it even further and not necessarily showcase, you know, every vocal ability I have with this or whatever and, and, and make it intimate because that was 
the whole concept for me of of, of 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 the title waiting for a voice and the title track is that journey and that you you're not there's kind of I try and depict it in the video as well, where there's, it starts off with an almost apathetic waiting and then it becomes a search and then it becomes like you, you're kind of driving, but you're still waiting. And, and the album for me does that, you know, and I didn't feel, I didn't think you, that I would achieve that with a whole bunch of clever production stuff and big songs that you can, you know, rock out to and all of that, because then that becomes the focus. The focus becomes rocking out, you know, and even the voice I mixed it really present and upfront because it's it it adds to that intimacy if i was sucked into the mix then again it becomes about the instruments and i become another instrument so it was all very conscious and yes it was i guess you can say i can't i can't say it's brave you said it's brave and i can agree with you um, but yes it took it took a sort of devotion from me to to see it through and not succumb to the temptation of as I said earlier, getting caught up in production and so on and trying to keep it pure, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. well, well so, done, for sure. In, um, in the review that I did, I, I think I commented on, yeah, it did seem like a journey. And so was it intentional? It, it felt like you used nature um, mm-hmm. you know, as searching the horizon, the waves, um, you talked about the sky. It seemed like there was always something out there you were either searching for or listening mm-hmm. for an answer. Um, mm-hmm. You had the icicles, um, mm-hmm. which is cyclical. Um, mm-hmm. So in night and day, I guess, were, mm-hmm. were prevalent as well. Was that intentional from the beginning or did that just sort of evolve as you were writing songs? Yeah, it honestly just evolved. I, you know, my son was saying to my wife, he writes a lot of songs about time on this album. I mean, there's the song that's, you know, time is the title just before the light got in. And then I noticed, oh yeah, I think I referenced time in almost sort of every other song. So it's, yeah, I, I would, you know, I could sit here and stroke my beard and tell you how I, I, I cobbled this all together for some shaman like vision that I had when I was wandering the, 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 you know, the Andes last month. But it's just not true. It's just I wrote, you know, I try to honestly write about what's what's going on in my life. And as I said, this is pre-COVID and pre-father passing and all this is this is just a place I I, I think I've been at that I've not explored lyrically and artistically. And uh, it's a place I've come back to many, many times in my life. And um, I felt it was high time to literally commit it to tape, so to speak. Or indeed, to a hard drive, but um, yeah. So yes, to answer a little more succinctly, no, it's it 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 wasn't contrived or conceived. It's not a concept album. It's just uh, where I'm at. <laughs> okay. Um, has this isolation taken on new meaning since COVID started? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this isolation was one of three songs that was actually written a long a lot longer ago. I wrote. Uh, this isolation disappear and uh, what was the other one? There's another one. Where's the track listing here? Uh, the mountainside and oh yeah, yeah. I asked for nothing. The mountain, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I asked for nothing. Those three kind of, as I said, and and you have an unfair advantage if you read the book. <laughs> um, they they kind of exist by association more in my mind, I guess, than any kind of necessary thematic connection or anything like that. But they were written uh, between ten. 10, 11 years ago now. And uh, they just, they were waiting for their voice, so to speak. You know, they just, there wasn't a place for them until now. And 
I, I joke about the number of songs I write, but so so I think it's significant that these three, you know, despite me having written another however many songs for this album, I still, you know, really these three really do speak to me. So I thought that they deserved their moment, and hopefully, people agree. <laughs> yeah, when I heard, um, oh, okay, okay, the titles escaping me. Um, the last song that you said when the, he washed his soul in the fountain mm-hmm. uh, had one of the coolest lines about pain for comfort. Mm, it's uh, it's truth, so paradoxical. The, the truth needs pain for comfort. Yeah. Yeah. I love that line. And I, mm. I put it on our TV so my wife could hear it. And then the next day the, the book comes and I pick it up and it's in there that it was written a long time ago. It was one of your dad's favorites or whatever. And I thought, oh, right. so awesome. Yeah. yeah actually cool. I, I, I sang that at, at his memorial service though. That's uh so if it wasn't going to go on the album before, it certainly was going to go on the album after that, you know. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it was uh, an old demo that that's, and I had a a version on a live version on YouTube for a few years, which just lurked around because it just feels like one of those songs that is best enjoyed live. You know, it's just. <laughs> Paul, are you playing music over there? <laughs> Paul does that periodically. <laughs> is that your outside reenvisioning? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, that's the biker gang coming for me here. Bear with me. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, yeah, those are those are a little older, but um, the rest of it, and obviously, Heroes was written by somebody else. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's um, right. Where were we? I've forgotten now. <laughs> Joe was going to ask a question. Uh, you're obviously, I mean, you're a prolific songwriter. Does does the flow always happen the same way, or do you get snippets of a song and you put it on the shelf and then you come back and and play around with it, or or do they come to you, you know, like that's an entire song and you sit and strum and that's that's that. So you know, how does the inspiration hit you, or you know, how do you deal with it when it comes exactly? I just try, and it, no matter what I say, it's going to sound kind of trite, I suppose. But I just try and be a conduit. You know, it's. Uh, uh, I mean, there are times that I I'm just sort of humming a melody. The times that I'm humming, I'm sort of creating a beat in my head, and then you know, chords come, and then words. There are times that the words come first, or I'm singing something, and I realize, oh wait, that's not a song. It must be one of mine that's about to happen. You know, it's. I find a lot of the time with with this album. Let's think, how did it happen with this album? I know there were a whole lot of, I've taken to the the iPhone demo, you know, because it's just wonderful. Oh, got the yes. thing with you. <laughs> you know, so I have hundreds, and we all do, we have hundreds of these bloody things. And uh, I had gotten back and, and I was sitting, and I would, I do this often, I'll just drag the guitar into the living room or wherever and have a coffee and start strumming. And then, you you know, before you realize that you're writing songs, and then I break out the phone, I thought, oh, it's quite good, you know, to record that. And, um, but I think the song "Waiting for a Voice," I just had it. It was written as a poem, but but a poem that that I intended to be a song. Uh, so I guess a poetic song, and uh, so that was very much written lyric first, but with a basic sort of the way you write beat poetry. You know, it's it's just it's it, it's got that you know, hence the term. It's it's got a beat. It's got a rhythm to it, and. The, the chords really just support that. There's no sort of intricate guitar wizardry to dazzle anybody. It's just, it's just there to help tell the story. And I think a lot of the songs on this album were written that way. And um, but in general, I mean, in general, it can be any any anywhere that I've described. You know, it can be words first, music first, chords first, no chords. I think the most popular for me is probably strumming, and then I sing 
Ashtonese, you know, my own mumble. And then I think, oh, that sounds great. And let's try and write some words that make sense. Um, that that I do a lot of, but less less so on this album because it is so lyric driven and uh, less there's less belting it out kind of singing and 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 more intimate style. So you know, it's uh, I mean, like Ocean Song, I would that chorus would have just came to me that over and over down we go, you know, and then I built the song from there, you know. Um, yeah, am I really helping, or am I just? Yeah, no. Right? no we, get, we, we get a lot of singer songwriters on here. We ask them a right. the question, and and there are yeah. really only so many ways that you can write a song. But exactly, we exactly. always try to pick pick their brains and see if there's a, a <laughs> particular style that they lean on. iPhones get mentioned a lot. Uh, oh yeah, humming into the voice memos. I think yeah. you may be the first that has ever made reference to the fact that you check and uh, make sure that it's not somebody else's song or something. <laughs> that you that's right. an important part of songwriting. It is. It's pretty important. Yeah. Speaking, yeah. speaking of someone else's song, we've mentioned your cover of Bowie's Heroes a couple of times. And I, the first time I listened through to the album, I just kind of had it on in the background and I heard that and I was like, wait a minute, I know this one. <laughs> and uh, so what, uh, you know, what drove you to that song and, and, made you decide to include it on such a personal album yeah it's a good question it wasn't it certainly wasn't intended um and that that i'd also i'd done a recording of that a couple of years ago so that's the other one that's i guess a little older but you know naturally it's a cover so i don't honestly remember why i recorded it but i recorded it um i know i'd had some kind of dream where Bowie spoke to me. And I know it probably sounds really hokey, but anyway, I recorded that. And, uh, you know, not to bring absolutely everything back to my dad, but um, as, as I mentioned earlier, we did, we did play Heroes at his service. And I guess the song took on, you know, yet another meaning for me, yet another level of already complex emotions that were associated with that song. And uh, my intention was just to to give it to the fans who had already pre-ordered the album as a kind of bonus gift. And it was very well received to the point where people clearly were assuming it was part of the album. And then I felt that I'd be kind of doing them an injustice by, you know, they finally get their vinyl or whatever that they've been waiting for, which I'm still waiting for, the, the, the vinyl. <laughs> um, thank you, COVID. Um, you know, and, and, and the song's not on there. So I... It was, it was very much one of those joys of doing a pre-order campaign and, and having that immersive interactive experience where in this case, the fans really did influence the track listing. You know, it's, I know, I know a lot of artists do and it's kind of, and again, it's a little, you know, might be a tad disingenuous. You kind of lead people to believe that they're, they're somehow shaping it all, but it's really just to kind of get the sales, you know, and, and that's, uh, anyway, that was not my intention. I, I really just wanted to give the people the song and the way they responded, I felt, well, now I've got to do it properly, right? So um, thankfully, it was a, I was quite happy with the mix already. So it was really just a case of adding it, finding a place for it to go. And the second side was getting a little somber towards the end there. So I thought squeezing in a bit of Bowie-infused in, in, hope, uh, which here is, is still ultimately a song of hope, which we could all do a whole lot you know we could all do with a lot of hope and um so yes i thought why not let's let's put it on there and 
I guess now I'm just gonna I'm just gonna have to live with people asking me to sing heroes every time. <laughs> there could be could, worse things, right? Could be worse. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and and as I, as I have said on social media and um, of course in the book is it was not my intention to try and improve on it at all. It's just an ode to an artist that's been a massive influence and inspiration for me. And uh, and then of course as I mentioned the the significance of my father's funeral and all of that so yes i think it, it felt appropriate that an album I've, ulti- I've ultimately dedicated to my dad to have the song that was played for you know it, it just it, it kind of all just spoke to me in that way and and now it's now it is that way well at this point in time i myself can certainly appreciate that <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, what a great what a great choice of a, of a Bowie song to cover because Bowie's music is has this great pop sensibility um, mm-hmm. in the melody lines. I think your music mirrors that as well. Where you know I caught myself listening to the album the first couple of times and I'm humming it, you know, going away. So that's that's always the mark that the music has hit home. You know, it's kind of struck and and I thought you know Heroes was a. Per- I don't think the album was getting. Uh, I don't know what you said, gloomy or whatever at the end. So, <laughs> but but heroes was a nice pick me up. So, um, yeah. Suffragette City would have been way over the top. I'm just, yeah. you know, too just much. a little. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to ask. A, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, you go. You go ahead. Well, I was going to ask a little bit of a uh, a personal question, if I could, mm-hmm. and it has to do with your voice. You have a, a a a great baritone, not only singing voice, but as as the rest of us in Central Indiana. <laughs> Uh, and our accents, <laughs> you're putting us to shame, Ashton. That's all I'm saying. Um, how long have you been singing? Have, did you did you start uh, young? You know, as a teenager. I guess what I'm getting at here is: was there a pre-voice Ashton, and then a post-voice change Ashton, where you had the baritone? You kind of had to settle into that and kind of learn how to no, use that. I, I think I was the child that the other kids would say, "Could you call the teacher and pretend to be my dad?" <laughs> <laughs> Johnny's very, not be at school very good. <laughs> and then I go and play with my seven-year-old friends after that. Um, <laughs> I hope that made you money at, at least. Well, you know, fifty cents I, here and there. Yeah, you got to. <laughs> The entrepreneurial nature was fostered <laughs> at a young age. Um, yeah, I, I always had, I mean, it got certainly deeper and lower with age. It wasn't quite, you know, as my dramatized storytelling would, you know. <laughs> um, but no, it, and as far as starting singing young, no, not really. I mean, my very first performance was singing blue suede shoes to my second grade class um they didn't ask for it the teacher (laughs) (laughs) again it's it's an entrepreneurial mindset it's just you know busking in class right (laughs) i think i'd been singing you know when your kids are just mumbling and humming and whatever and the teacher goes oh would you like to share that with the rest of the class i said yes hell yes you know like, yes, ma'am. And then was one for the money, you know, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 a star was born. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't do all the musical stuff. I didn't sing in the choir, or and I wasn't in a band in school because, largely because we didn't have bands in school in Johannesburg in those those days, and it was a different focus. And we were we were discouraged from pursuing 
any art form is mm. the, the blunt brutal version of uh, reality and mm -hmm. so there was a lot of oppression and suppression taking place um, on, on all sorts of levels which we could do a whole show series just speaking about that yeah sure but the short version is that like with so many things when you're told not to do it <laughs> mm -hmm. um, the exact opposite ends up happening and and th there's been I think there was that desire to rebel against the system certainly from a relatively young age so i do remember walking around my back garden imagining myself in music videos when i think um, other kids might have been doing cops and robbers and that kind of thing um <laughs> so i'd say you know the desire to sing and perform was always there even if i wasn't didn't go about it in the way that current generations would um with or, or certainly people in different countries like this one where they, they you know kids just grow up with music and band and performance and all of that and it's just kind of a natural um you know maybe i'll try that on for, for a little while it was something i blindly sought out as this this you know magical mythical fruit on a, a very forbidden tree you know so yeah it's a as i said that's a long long tale in and of itself so what about the music itself? I know your dad was a music fan. Did, did your parents ever forbid a certain album from coming home? Or did you ever, uh, some songwriters have like religious upbringings that, that the parents absolutely forbid them from bringing the, the rock music into the house. So did you have any experience like that? No, fortunately, I mean, you know, my father certainly had his conservative moments in, in, in that respect. I mean, he, he, nearly lost it when he thought I was wearing an earring for example um, <laughs> uh, he, he wasn't fond of my uh, we speak about Bowie for a brief moment um, again <laughs> let's just keep coming back to Bowie there, there was a, a time I think I was probably about 14 and um, a friend of mine was having a, a party like a fancy dress party I don't know what you call them a fancy dress party right and yeah. So I thought I'd go with Ziggy Stardust and, um, and <laughs> perfect. You know, <laughs> we, we weren't allowed. I mean, it was very strict with school as, in terms of what your hair could look. I mean, your, your hair could, couldn't touch your eyebrows and, you know, it was well, short back and sides and we marched every Monday morning and, you know, standard stuff, I guess for the time. And, uh, so I dyed my hair red and I put on my mom's leggings and a pair of Chelsea boots and off I went and that was great. And then of course, <laughs> The red stuff didn't come out of my hair by Monday when it was time to march. So, you know, my dad didn't like that look either. He didn't, he wasn't crazy about the, the leggings and all of that until I had a number one. You know, it's everything changed. When yeah. I did a cover of The Sound of Silence and, and it went to number one on the alternative rock charts there. And suddenly, yeah, the earring and the hair and it was, suddenly wasn't a problem anymore. It was all forgivable. <laughs> it's very forgivable, yeah. But but in terms of forbidding certain types of music, no, not at all. My parents were music fans. I, I mean, on on that score, I, there's a, a lovely story where a friend of mine comes to visit and Guns N' Roses is blaring from the house. So he walks in and he goes, oh, hi, um, is, is Ashton home? And my mom's all embarrassed because that's actually her band. You know, she was playing sweet child of mine <laughs> well it's, it's a vacuuming music you know and uh so yeah it's there it was quite a quite a range of 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 music and 
yeah it's it's wonderful i mean so no 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 restrictions but, i can remember my my mom chewing my dad out because we were watching a, a hendrix special on tv and he was playing manic depression and and my mom was pretty conservative with music for a while and it was sandy patty and it was uh hymns and it was a lot of church music and you know and mm-hmm. she's like manic depression just listen to what he's saying you know and just mm-hmm. you want to put that in your mind and mm-hmm. and i had already found his uh sabbath eight tracks and you know some of those things so Right. I'm very fortunate. That's that. I'm glad for you. This isn't therapy, so we can talk about other things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's but it's it's amazing though, and I think you know it's as I was saying about rebelling against these things. You know, I mean, some things you know we we, we discover in later years that rebelling for the sake of rebelling is kind of pointless. But but rebelling, you know, for good reason. I mean, if someone had to tell me that I was never allowed to listen to my Led Zeppelin records, you know, I would rebel, you know, for sure. It's <laughs> it's, it's my God-given right to listen to Led Zeppelin, absolutely, among, among other bands, you know. So, yeah, I think there's 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 that the healthy uh, opposition, and then there's the the oppression, the unhealthy oppression, and uh, there, there's a difference, right? Yeah. Well, you have a pretty pretty uh, nice. Uh, list of things here that you've rebelled against some of the equality things that you've taken up and some of the issues are, mm-hmm. are really impressive so my hat's off to you for that and i think that's even more so important now as we've you know kind of divided ourselves as a nation and right. um, as educators you know steve and i uh, look for kids who are kind of on the fringe and want to reach out to them so uh, okay. i was i was impressed at the things that you've uh, spoken up for so well done my friend thank you thank you yeah, it's it's just i think I've always mentioned those things because I, uh, I, I don't think that um, I don't see myself as the whole term musician, you know, or you know, it's it's an aspect of what I do, you know. And there are people who are just musicians, just musicians, and that's wonderful if that's your thing and you're really into whatever it is, playing lots and lots of notes or writing beautiful sounds, whatever it is. Honestly, I'm not being at all sarcastic or facetious. It's that's wonderful. It's just not what I. That wasn't my goal was to be, you know, a great singer or a great guitarist or whatever. I think I, I'm just interested in a lot of different things, and I think similarly, I was in, interested in in many styles and genres, you know. So I got kind of unfairly very very pigeonholed very early because we did such a good job of branding me as the Lord of Darkness with the whole gothic rock thing that it it you know it was great and I and, and I, I enjoy many aspects of that music and um what what I've created that has fitted into that genre. However, it is one of the things I enjoy, you know, one of and uh media likes to just pigeonhole and go, okay, well that's what it is. End of story. So I think in addition to trying to explain over the years that then more than one genre excites me more than one thought process also excites me and, and you know more than one art form more than one you know cause or you know it's just i think i used to say to people well you don't go and listen you don't listen to the same song week after week surely you don't expect me to make the same song week after week and and, and similarly you know if you're let's say a vegetarian it doesn't mean that you don't care about children's rights or women's rights or gay rights or you know there, there's just i think we we are there, there are more to all of us than, than probably meets the eye and i think that's why i included some of those things in the 
the biographies and the press releases and all of that is is really just i'm not that excited to just sit and talk about you know <laughs> chords and all of that for an you know for the rest of my life i just don't think you know again if that's your bag cool but um i appreciate your kind words i appreciate you you know drawing attention to that that's you know you touched on the uh, pigeonholing of people in the entertainment industry and that's one thing that i've never understood because I don't, you know, you see people that are quote unquote famous, actors, singers, whatever. And if they speak out on a topic, that's the first thing you see is, oh, shut up and sing. Or I don't need an actor telling me how to think. And right. if you feel passionately about a certain topic or, you know, issue and you have that platform, why would you not speak your mind? And I mean, right. and they're people too, like, you, it can't expect them not to have opinions just because exactly. famous. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, you don't have to enjoy, you know, you don't have to, to, to be aligned with every opinion of every person and every artist and every, you know, but, but you certainly can't therefore restrict artists from, from speaking about what concerns them. And sure, there's a lot of disingenuous stuff that happens. People jump on bandwagons and all of that, but it's not our job to then go and beat them over the head. That's for them to kind of deal with if they're being disingenuous or fake or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, I personally think, you know, an opinion's a good thing. And I think voicing an opinion's probably not a bad idea, you know, so, yeah. Can I uh, switch gears for just a minute? Taking the the topic at hand, but moving mm -hmm. to your short story "Mirror of Choice," yes, it has such a sweet ending. Like, <laughs> I, I want to see where this goes. I, I kind of feel like there's a Neil Gaiman thing going on here, where I want to uh -huh. know what happens with that mirror and the and the two kids. Wonderful. There, there is a little bit of biting commentary that made <laughs> me laugh out loud when I was reading it. As mm -hmm. Ghost Boy is is cruising through uh, the books, and mm -hmm. And you write, there was something endlessly satisfying about seeing the faces of the politicians on the shelves now disfigured by mold, dirt, various insects, and indeed, karma. <laughs> that was beautifully written. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, yes. And, and your first comment about wanting to know what happens to Ghost Boy, that's mm -hmm. very much what I, I'd hoped for. I'd, I'd love to write more about Ghost Boy. So... Thank you. That's that's very encouraging. It's that story totally surprised me. I just I sat down thinking, ooh, you know, I had this first two lines or whatever. And because I don't really have much experience in writing books, I just kind of went with it and thought, yeah, people that know aspects of me would probably be completely confused and think, why is he writing this silly little whatever? And then I thought, oh well, so what? <laughs> Do what yeah. I want. My book, <laughs> you know, don't have to buy it. Don't have to read it. Um, and I enjoyed much like playing with different genres of music. I enjoyed playing with different styles of writing and experimenting. I mean, the po even the poetry is relatively diverse. I mean, it's not maybe not as diverse as as the short stories, and there's only three of them. But I, yeah, I enjoyed experimenting, and I think that. Uh, that was that did act as I said across my mind. I, I hope people want to know what happens next with Ghost Boy because then you know he can return. Well, you know why they do 
It's because in very short order, you made us care about Ghost Boy. You gave us enough detail while moving us through mm-hmm. that we really cared about that character. And then you you pull us into the girl and mm-hmm. we got to... It's like, yes. where are we going with this? What happens if he shows up in that mirror? Where, you know, the yeah. glow's there. And, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was beautifully written. And I, I did have one other question about a short story. And mm-hmm. it was David's Forest, mm-hmm. which... I really dug that. I mean, it was kind of that old can't see the forest for the trees kind of thing, but it had the mm-hmm. deep suicide kind of commentary mm-hmm. going on. Is David mm-hmm. a real person? Was this a, uh, or just kind of taking the theme and using him as a character to show this kind of situation? Yeah, I think it's, it's so much of, of what, what I've written will have, you know, elements of, there'll be autobiographical elements and the elements of which, which can cover just, people I know, people I've, you know, cared about and so on. And I think this, the same can be said for David in, uh, in his forest. So I've been asked the same thing about songs like Every Shade of Blue off Satellite, for example, yeah. where, I mean, one, one person asked me, is this, are you just writing about yourself here? And it's, it's a valid question because, you know, I guess you always are really when, you, when, you, when it's you sitting down writing, you're writing about what impacts you and what, and it's going through your filter. It's, it's your, you know, it's your pen or indeed your keyboard, <laughs> um, getting these, these ideas down and out. So yes, I probably lost the point again, David. Yes. It's, I don't think, I don't think, it, don't, I don't think David me. No, I don't think I've, I don't want to give the game away for people who haven't in fact read that little story, but, um, Yes, that was that's that that one was a little older. I think the other most of the book I wrote um, literally in the last few months, but there are a few poems and David's Forest was an older piece, which I just it was just one of those that are one of the spontaneous moments, and I thought, ah, this I should do something with it someday. So here it is. <laughs> awesome. Do you have any list of poets or particular poets that you are inspired by? I think, uh, oh, definitely. Um, on the more classic side of things, you know, Blake was a big, uh, I mean, it's probably obvious, right? It's probably stereotype, yeah. you know, stereotype, <laughs> known background and all that. Um, I, I think uh, Bukowski comes through in some of this. I think mm-hmm. that, uh, I think in, in most of what I've published with this book, there's more of a, a beat poet sort of, um, sense and sense of oh, sense of, did I, I nearly said sense and sensibility there um, <laughs> uh, what's that black adder with knob and nobility and all of that <laughs> um yeah <sighs> distracting myself so obviously Kerouac and Ginsburg and and um everyone they inspired you know I, I came to a lot of this through Jim Morrison so he was obviously inspired by the beat poets and I and, I and I retold a little story about how I first heard American Prayer sort of by accident, really. Well, you know, searching through records based on what you think looks cool or what you may have heard of. And American Prayer kind of checked both of those boxes. So ironically, my introduction to The Doors was not, you know, Roadhouse Blues or Five to One or, any, you know, um, Break On Through. It was, it was hearing Jim, you know, the story will begin in five. You know, it, it's just it's just incredible for especially such a young person to hear that where we were in you know a little a little apartment in sort of the tired part of town, Johannesburg. My friend and I are listening to this sort of 
ethereal connection to Venice Beach and this magical land that 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 he came from. And uh, I think in discovering, in reading, you know, his work and 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 recognizing that beat and that rhythm, I think I gravitated towards a lot of the beat poets. And subsequently, you know, Patti Smith's writing, I'm very uh, impressed by. Um, not to say the least. I mean, Just Kids is probably the best piece of music-oriented uh, writing around, in my humble opinion. And um, who else? I don't know. Do you have another question? Have I answered? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's great. That, I, I definitely got you know a lot of the beat poet vibe um, mm -hmm. from reading some of the works as well. So I was just genuinely curious because it's funny yeah. how sometimes, though, <laughs> I guess in some aspects, sometimes things get ingrained from just association more than actually being directly involved with it. So I was just genuinely curious. So right. Thank you. That's beautiful. Thank you. I mean, you know, I think, I think Leonard Cohen's ghost can be felt as well on the, the songs as well as the poems. And so that's another person I'd like to give a nod to for sure. I also <laughs> wanted to ask you, uh, from the recording vocals aspect, I touched on it earlier, uh, you know, again, with the whole level of intimacy and things like that. And this really is no secret because Michael asked me on the show to do a remix and told me to pick a song. And I chose the outside from Calm Before the Storm. Thank and you. I thought it was a fantastic opener. I loved how it just really brought back a lot of feelings from listening to like the Crow soundtrack and the right. disintegration. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your, your vocal lines on top of that was just it it melded together perfectly. And so that said, having a rare ability to kind of peek under the hood and hear mm -hmm. your tracks by themselves without mm -hmm. you know being mixed together. Right. I was just like, wow. So right. I guess my question is, is what, what do you do to get yourself prepared to record your vocals? There was a lot of layers. I mean, of course there's, you know, some octaves and, and, mm -hmm. you know, low register, higher register, things like that. And so mm -hmm. I just kind of want to get into your mind a little bit about, you know, what you do to, to get set up for a situation like that. Well, with Michael, it's been a, 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 a relatively unique experience. You know, I say relatively because I collaborated with, uh, Mark Gemini Thwaites um, a few years before, which is the first time I'd received, you know, here's the music, can you please sing on it? That sort of thing. I'd, I'd always done it all myself, just kind of written the song and taken it from a seed to a tree. Um, so I got my feet wet with with working with, with Mark on the MGT albums, and then Michael had heard something and blah, blah, blah. So we, so we, we got working together, and I wrote Storm, and and uh two other songs on the first album and then the outside with this one and so the reason i mention that is that it's 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 a different experience because i'm receiving the music relatively complete and it's it's now so you got to you know you got to find the place find the a comfortable place to sing whatever it is you're going to be singing and it's a little different to to writing it yourself, you know, from the word go. And uh, I think I approached both projects with the, how would I do this live? That was really possibly a different approach to how I have sometimes worked on my own. So it was very, I was very um, cognizant of what the lead vocal live track would sound like and with nothing else, you know, so I wasn't trying to build things up. I was, I was adding to what I was already happy with. I had to have that really strong, definitive lead from start to finish and i was probably more conscious of that 
because I hadn't worked on the music or anything. I was literally being hired <laughs> to mm -hmm. write write the words and sing them, you know, write the melody. So so that was that was an influence. And then that's, so I think that's probably answers your question. And then you then I I I try and build it up to make it sound awesome. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Add all those voices to it, you know. <laughs> One thing I struggle with is, you know, I, I'm not a a great singer by any means you know i do it to kind of put spots in here and there and i'll cheat and use my vocoder quite a bit because that's just the confidence i have in my voice but <laughs> beyond that when i do try to really push myself there's times when i hit you know a particular range or a set of pitches that just triggers my yawning mechanism so i just can't get out of that and then i have to just i scrap it and then i come back the next day and i'm discouraged and that sort of thing so um i just kind of wanted to get in your head as far, you know ideally you do have you're aware of where your voice sits and you use it very well, but I'm just kind of curious, do you find challenges at times when you're trying to track and how do you overcome those challenges to, to deliver? Oh, it's, it's a valid question. I was just recently working on something that uh, was written by somebody else and um, in a similar situation, they've sent me, it was even worse because they made me replay the whole bloody thing. So I had to, <laughs> Michael at least had the decency to send me a complete track for me to sing on. In this one, uh, due to the nature of the song, I replayed it, and then and then I had that agonizing over which key is the ultimate key to do this in, because in this, you know, in the verses, my voice sounds really great here, but then I'm straining when I get to the chorus, that sort of thing. So I guess it's just try it and keep trying and keep singing it and singing it. You know, it's uh, if if it's feeling, you know, there's that there's there's a line between uncomfortable because you're moving out of your comfort zone literally and then there's uncomfortable because it actually sounds crap because you're singing out of your range mm -hmm. you know, and it's and it's the wisdom to know the difference that is the, the, the that golden key we're all looking for and i certainly have don't don't profess to have the answer there i i've the songs i've sang where in retrospect you know a different key would have been a whole lot better um so yes i don't think there's a there's a quick fix to it i think it's just a case of singing it until it's it has the fluidity of a song that you've heard and loved for years you know it, it when you have that kind of feeling your way through unless that's your intention for the mood of the song i think the listener can pick up on that and it becomes a little less and starts feeling like a cover version of a song you hardly know you know as mm -hmm. opposed to something that is of you and you can take a song and cover it and make it sound like it is of you if you know the song and feel the song intimately at least i think so well thank you for that perspective that's beautiful no. yeah. i think you're being a little bit modest because uh your range is quite great uh <laughs> a halo in the dirt for example yeah. i mean you're all over and it, it sounds amazing so your range is pretty great thank you well we're not going to keep you too much longer because I, I know uh you're a busy man and you're an important man but I can't let you off the show without putting you on the spot because we put everybody on the spot to make you answer something that you had no idea about before you came on. Mm -hmm. So I just have two questions for you. Mm -hmm. The first one is actually, these are very similar. So if uh, you had to choose somebody right now to sing a duet with, who would the male person be? The male. Yeah, mm -hmm. I know. Press you a little bit. Hmm. Give you the female in a heartbeat, but uh, yeah, think about nice. <laughs> I'll answer the female first. Then <laughs> that's called cheating, but we'll allow it this time. 
<laughs> okay, I would certainly sing with Kate Bush. That, that okay. would be my first prize nice. dream duet right there. And why is that? She's a huge influence on me. Uh, inspiration. I, I'd say more of an inspiration than an influence. I don't tend to sing a whole lot like Kate Bush, but just as an artist, she's a massive inspiration. Um, I love her work ethic, her the diversity of her work, her, her, her genius, really. I mean, I think she's genius. And uh, she's written some of my absolute favorite albums that I listen to. And that's why there's a picture of her behind me. <laughs> Watching over me, you see. Yes, so that's that's an easy one. Mel, hmm. Because there's the people you really like that you've been influenced by, but you probably end up end up jarring because your voices are in some ways similar, right? I mean, it's... Well, who are your, your favorite male musicians then? Well, the, 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 the male vocalists that I think shaped helped shape my vocal identity of would naturally be people who have vaguely similar voices or not similar but they'll be in a similar range right i mean it's so to before i answer that question i would say in an ideal world prince i'd love to sing a song with prince i know he has passed on but but uh, i'm a massive prince fan have always been and we sound pretty damn different me and prince <laughs> so bad you know, so he, he could take all of the upper range and I can take all of the, and we could have, we could sound like a choir, you know, Freddie would be wondering how we got that massive queen effect. And, uh, and I just point to Prince and say, well, it's all Prince. It's, yeah. he's, he's the magic. I just brought out the bottom end. Yes. And then as far as people who influenced me and first loves, we've spoken about David Bowie. He, he's torch burns brightest. Elvis was my very first hero. His his torch still burns very bright. Mm. And I never tire of hearing Elvis sing, ever. And I never tire of watching the black leather sit-down sessions from the 68 comeback special. Mm. <laughs> it's, uh, it's every holiday or excuse for a holiday. <laughs> it was Elvis Day, you know. Um, and uh, I've mentioned Kate Bush, uh, Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground. Um, Jim Morrison and the Doors we've spoken about. Um, we spoke about Tom Waits. I love the work of Tom Waits again. His the originality and the so it's it's not necessarily people that you end up sounding like. I think it's just a, a mindset that 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 you find inspiring, you know. And I mentioned well, we didn't mention it because it's been removed from the previous thing. But <laughs> I think uh, I would like an honourable mention. You know, Nick Cave is is. Uh, an artist worth mentioning for uh, so many reasons. And I think his, the, the literary use of his, or the literary uh, parallels in his work are inspiring. Um, many, many, I mean, those, I mean, I, I loved early U2. I love, you know, the, the, I spoke of Led Zeppelin earlier on bands like that, you know, it's, there are plenty. <laughs> I love music. Nina Simone. Nina Simone's a, I'm, you know, absolutely huge fan of Nina Simone. I was listening to her earlier today, and I was on a jazz kick earlier. So, yeah. Tom Waits, uh, his early stuff, man, that just hits something in me where uh, mm -hmm. I could listen to that forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, um, I love so many eras of Tom Waits. I think my absolute favorite album of his is Alice. I I just can't get. I mean, and that was, I guess, later in his, you know, in in the greater canon of his work. But um, so I mean, it's about fifteen or twenty years old already now. But 
Yeah, just the, the the his choice of instrumentation and the way he presents his characters, and I mean, he's just absolutely. There's no one like you know like Tom. <laughs> no one. I think I would pay money to hear an Ashtonite cover of Frank's Wild Years, though, because it's got the poetry, the spoken word. Mm -hmm. You could do the little jazz thing behind the little interlude, but uh, uh -huh. one of my favorite stories told by by old Tom. Yeah, it's a challenging album that you, you put me up to there. Frank's Wild Years, eh? Okay. Just throw rain dogs in there as well. Like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> or Downtown Train. I mean, I could hear that too. I mean, yeah, that's 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 Tom doing Springsteen, though. You know, it's yeah. like, we'll see you tonight. <laughs> uh, and then Rod Stewart. Uh, yeah. Mm, oh, I love, Spring I love Springsteen too. Speaking of Springsteen, I do. I right. really do. And uh, when we get into, oh, of course, Cat Stevens. I, how could I not mention yeah. Cat Stevens? I'm a massive Cat Stevens fan. So, the, you know, the, then there's the list of the less obvious people like those. And there's quite a long list of them. Neil Diamond. I love Neil Diamond. Mm -hmm. You know, yes. and so on and so on. Just great songwriters with these wonderful bodies of work that. Mm -hmm. People think I'm joking when I start speaking with tears in my eyes about Neil Diamond, but I'm really not. It's, it's, no, he's uh, he's. That's the first thing I thought when you said that. I was like, oh, he's an amazing songwriter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we saw him. My wife and I saw him on his 50th anniversary tour, which ended up being the last thing, last tour he did before he, you know, the Parkinson's kind of took over. Mm -hmm. So yeah, wonderful. We sat four rows from the front. Wow. Breathe, yeah, breathing in every every precious note from Neil. <laughs> so if you if you're not familiar with his album Stones, go and listen to Stones. That's wonderful. It's the album that has "I Am" I said on it, and he oh, does yeah. uh, he does a few songs at the end, um, a few covers. Like he does Suzanne by Leonard Cohen, and he does um, oh, nice. something else that I like that I can't think of right now. So. <laughs> uh, one last question, did. You know, with with COVID going on, it, it's been really difficult for us to find albums that we were all interested in reviewing because people mm -hmm. are kind of pushed back releases. Did you ever think about pushing back the release because you wouldn't be able to support it with a tour anytime soon? Absolutely. You know, it's um, it was bizarre coming back. You know, some my dad passed. We did all went to South Africa, got everything sorted out, brought my mom back because um, they were in the process of emigrating at the time. So she just, just, just got the green card, literally four days after he passed away, and um, brought brought her back here. And then I had that seeing how COVID was escalating at the time. Um, naturally, I had the same thought of, you know, it's probably not the greatest time in the world to put a record out. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought about the necessity of art and the role art has always played in my life. And and that's ultimately what led me to to sort of you know throw caution to the proverbial wind and put the record out and uh, well i started with the pre-order campaign and it went so incredibly well that you know i took that as further confirmation and uh, so yes it, it definitely crossed, crossed my mind and it's and it pains me that i can't tour the album in a conventional sense it's you know i finally make a record that can very easily be performed with just me and my guitar and I can't go anywhere. <laughs> can't even leave the house, you know? So it's, uh, but everybody's in this, we're all in this together. And as, as, you know, as cheesy as these things sound, it's, it's brought out a different 
connection, I think. And uh, I think people will possibly connect with the work differently because of the, the backdrop of COVID. And if it's ultimately an album and a, and a book of hope, it's about a journey and it's about hope. So I can't see that in anything other than a positive light right now. Mm -hmm. And I said this to a band a couple episodes back that we interviewed. Of course, they're restricted and not touring as well. But once you're able to hit the road and, and connect with the fans again, I'm sure that moment will just be all the more sweeter. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's uh, I did a my first and only Facebook live concert a few weeks ago, and I was yeah. amazed at at how I felt about it. You know, I thought I thought how am I going to possibly remain engaged looking at my laptop or my computer whatever it was i was looking at the the mac and uh remember that there are people on the other side that's that's the toughest part with those things you know you sort of start zoning out thinking you're just practicing or, or jamming or whatever and uh fortunately you know you've got the comments popping up on the side and i have these lovely fans that are very very vocal so you know it's it, it, the that that assisted with the engagement level and i was amazed at that how moved i was by the whole experience i think I'd, I'd gone in thinking i'm doing this for the fans and i just need to you know remember that they're there and try and stay focused but really it's it's it really highlighted this unique situation that we're in i think doing something like that and seeing how people responded and feeling like you're sharing and celebrating and um to me that is what live music is supposed to be about and again coming back to where we started with the intimacy of this particular work that really is the whole point is to feel that well i'm able to do this and you know thankfully some people are interested in hearing it so let's you know kind of celebrate this together and see where it goes so you know i'm optimistic about where it's all going to end up but i don't think i've tried i try not to, to 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 fall into the well once this is all over kind of mindset knowing that it could be a long 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 time before this is all over and uh i'm just trying to find my way to get through it all and and stay connected to people who i am able to connect with and that's all I can really do. Have Absolutely. you uh, have you given thought to? There's a lot of bands that are doing um, Facebook live concerts, but they're also they're doing you know ticketed live mm -hmm. events online. Or have you thought about doing any of that at all? Maybe there's also uh, there's one band that I follow that they've been trying to do it like once a month, but to keep it fresh, they're also taking suggestions for, mm -hmm. you know, set lists and all to kind of change it up and mm -hmm. given thought to anything like that. Well, I, as far as the ticketing thing, I'm kind of on the fence about that. You know, all, all I did with mine is I gave people a tip jar option. And honestly, okay. I've, I was, you know, very surprised at how many people made use of the tip jar and very encouraged by that but i'd probably just go that route a, a you know kind of free for everybody and if you feel obliged to throw something in the tip jar then you know thank you my my cats and i are very appreciative <laughs> not gonna lie um 
and as far as keeping it fresh and and all of that yes i i'm fortunate because i have so many albums and so i can do themed you know album themed shows or um you mentioned requests i did that for the one and only show i've done because it was kind of a greatest hits type thing and i was in, genuinely interested to see what the people who are going to take the time to watch the thing what it is that they wanted to, to see me sing or hear me sing so um the next one i'd like to do will be very much focused on the new album so it'll be more about that and i haven't played any of the new songs live but for i asked for nothing which was as i said a lot older mm-hmm. um so you know depending on how people respond i agree with trying to keep it fresh you know i would want to explore different even if it's presentation wise is to present it differently each time so you don't feel like oh it's this guy again sitting in his room <laughs> looking at me you know it's, you know i just I, I start to i must admit i feel you know when i'm scrolling through instagram or something and they, some people just i feel like they're doing a live stream every three minutes you know <laughs> remember me you know i'm still here and, and i think yeah there is probably a a, a line that, that gets crossed um and i certainly wouldn't want to feel that I'm taking, you know, trying to commandeer people's time and take advantage of, of that. So as long as they're interested and I I can see how many people log in, you know. So I, you know, when I when I realize that I'm down to the last five, then I realize I've scared everybody away because I'm like, <laughs> like oh it's that guy and he's doing another show. Yeah. Oh, that did not happen. You had plenty of years. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. show was was wonderful, by the way. Yeah. Uh, the Thank, you. Thank you. Yeah. It was as I said, I had I was surprised at how much I enjoyed it it's, um, because I think we, we all, especially if you've been doing it for a while, you start believing your own stories about how vitally important the live connection is and seeing the people, that, you know, and there's a lot of that is absolutely true. But I think doing these things, it just, it brings out something else in the performer and it brings out something else in, in the audience and their desire to support you and, and support what you do is, yeah, it's just an amazing blessing and there's no way around it. It's just, I always say to people, you know, in 2020 to have anybody care about what you you're doing, irrespective of who you are and what you've done before, it takes a lot. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot out there to distract people all the time, 24 seven. So to have a few hundred people log on to watch me sing a few songs on Facebook. I mean, that's, that's wonderful. I'm, you know, I'm happy. (laughs) All right, Ashton. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. I uh, just want to give you the last word. Let people know where they can find your music, where they can order the book, the vinyl, the CD, um, and anything on social media uh, that you have. Well, ashtonnight.com is the place to go, and that's A-S-H-T-O-N-N-Y-T-E.com. That's my radio voice. And um, I have everything there. That's There's a store and the streaming and, and links to all the social media, but everything's basically backslash or forward slash, whatever the slash is, um, Ashton Knight. So whether it's Facebook or Instagram or whatever, I'm on most of those things, except TikTok. I don't know what that is. So it just sounds strange. <laughs> so I'm not on there. So if, so if you think you're not I am, a teen girl, so don't worry. Oh, okay. So yeah. I, uh, not to my knowledge. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I'm on all of them. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter, I think. Yeah, time permitting, Twitter. So yes, come and say hi. 
Awesome. JPP, where can we find you? I'm also on the Instagrams under Just Plain Paul. You can also find me hanging out on the Wanderings and Wool Gathering Facebook page. And also uh, soon you'll find some content from me on the Wanderings and Wool Gathering website at wanderingsandwoolgathering.com. Excellent. Metalhead. Uh, I can be found on Instagram at Metalhead Monday. And I also am beginning to contribute to the Wanderings and Wool Gathering website so find me there el ray el ray four on instagram that's where i hang out so also not a tiktoker <laughs> what, is, what is tiktok though i mean i, I don't know i think trump promised to to delete it or something this weekend <laughs> uh, we don't need to worry about it much longer <laughs> you remember vines remember what vine, vine. oh the video thing mm-hmm. yeah it, that's what tiktok is they're short videos that people uh, make music or they do some weird theme thing. My daughter uh, shows us them every once in a while, and some are funny and some are just ridiculously dumb. You're not missing anything. That was your okay. question. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm at Foggy's Pal on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find my review of Waiting for a Voice at wanderingsandwoolgathering.com. And you can find the podcast, Wanderings and Wool Gathering, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Castbox, Stitcher and at rock985.com. After you listen, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And make sure you head over to ashtonknight.com so that you can pick up this amazing album and this wonderful book. You will not be disappointed. Until we meet again, bye now.